Today's daf was Kavzayin and Kafchet. We were on Kavzayin Amud Aleph, 16 lines from the bottom of the Amud, where it says, Hakol Nikach Bekesef Maaser. All kinds of food can be purchased with the money from Asir Shani that's taken to Yerushalayim, except for Mayim Umelach, except for water and salt. Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yosef, Barchanina, Achad Matnei Eruv, Achad Matnei Maaser. Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yosef, Barchanina, one of them applied this teaching to Eruv, to Eruv Tehumin, and one to Maaser, Achad Matnei Eruv, that uh, one applied it to Eruv and said like this, Lo shanu ela ma'im b'fnei atzmo u'melech b'fnei atzmo de'in ma'arvin, aval b'mayim u'melech ma'arvin. Meaning to say that our Mishnah talks about water and salt as separate substances, but if you mix it together into salt, water, that's actually okay for an Eruv, according to one of these opinions. We don't know which one, because it just says Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yossi bar Chanina, but it doesn't tell us which said which. It should actually say Rabbi El-Azar. Anyway, v'chad matnei ha'ma'asir. One applied the teaching to Maaser and said, That what can you not use your Maaser Shani money for? Water or salt separately. But if you mix it into salt water, that's already a substance that you could purchase with your Maaser Shani. Now, the interesting point is, If you hold that it's legitimate to purchase salt water with the money of Maaser Shani, then for sure it's considered a food for Eruv Tchumin. But the one who applied it to Eruv, that said that you could use salt water for Eruv Techumin, you could place it at the location that extends your Techum, and it's considered a food, would not allow it for Maser. What's the reason? And we need a fruit. It needs to be an actual fruit, and salt water is not a fruit. He taught it applying to Maser and said that salt water is good for Maser, and then certainly for Eruv. They raised an objection to that. That it says Rabbi Yehuda ben Gadish testified in front of Rabbi Eliezer that at my father's house we used to purchase fish brine, the water that like the, has the fish uh, uh, soaked in it, the fi- that you know that uh, that um, the the uh, that uh, like the sweat of the fish basically the fish brine. They, they would use kesef master. They would use the money of the master to buy it. Amarlo said to him, Maybe that's only true when there's actual fish in there, but just the brine itself that seeps out of the fish. How could that be a legitimate, uh, a legitimate item to purchase with master shani money? So you see, there's a machloket about fish brine. So and even Rabbi Yehuda ben Gadishu there was saying that the fish brine was a legitimate thing to buy with Master Shani. He was talking about fish brine that at least has like the fat of the fish that oozes out. But definitely not salt water. So both of the Tanaim there in that, in that particular brighta are not going to allow, uh, are not going to allow salt water. So Amar of Yosef, that's only if you put oil in it. In other words, where it says that if you have salt water, that when Rabbi Yitzchak said, that you could purchase salt water with the Maser Shani money, he meant only if you have oil in it. Oil, olive oil. But then the question is, well, if that's the case, so then why can't you just say that you're like, I mean, you can already buy the oil. So the oil is a fruit. It comes from an olive. So what's the, uh, so if you're already introducing that into the case, so you're not really buying salt water with the Maser Shani money, you're really buying the oil. So it says, the point is that you paid a price and the price included the uh, 
the uh, you know the um, it was a little bit more expensive to buy the oil because it came with the, with the salt water that was mixed in with, and so therefore the Maser Shinimani is covering both, and that apparently is okay. It's okay to buy the oil mixed into the salt water, even though you're buying an additional item other than the thing that actually the law of the Maser Shinimani applies to, which is the oil itself. Is it really true that you can? Um, you can do that. You can basically take items that are and are not subject to Master Shinin, combine them together and pay for them as one purchase. In, yes. Uh, so it says, we learned in a baita. Ben Bagbag Omer, Ben Bagbag said, Babakar, when it, when it describes the things that you're allowed to purchase with the Master Shinin money, it says you can get, uh, you, can, you can use the money. For anything now, remember when you when you take maser sheni, you take the produce initially, and then you can't you don't want to carry it to Jerusalem, so you transfer the sanctity to money, and then you take the money to Yerushalayim. So it says you should give the money for anything that you desire. It says for cattle, for sheep, for wine, for intoxicating drink, and anything that your soul desires. So the word babakar teaches you you can take meat together with its skin even though you're not going to eat the skin and obviously Masashini is primarily about what you're going to buy to eat and, and the price is a little bit higher because it comes with the skin you can pay that full price out of your Masashini similarly you get to pay uh, you can use your you don't have to pay separately for the um, shearings of the sheep in other words you're buying a sheep which also has wool um, you're only going to eat the meat. Only the meat is really the Maser Sheni Mitzvah. You're getting the wool together and obviously the price includes the wool also and you're going to pay with Maser Sheni but that's okay. Similarly, when you purchase wine, you're, purchase, you're paying also for the container, for the, uh, for the flask that contains it and that's okay. Similarly, you can purchase Temid. Temid was that they took the grape seeds after they, after they squeezed out the grapes and they would soak the grape seeds in water and that water itself would become like fermented and it become a separate drink. That's, that you're allowed to do also. You're allowed to, um, you're allowed to uh, uh, purchase that with your Maser Shini money. But what you see from here is that you're allowed to pay one price for both the meat and the, uh, and the, the skin of the animal or for both the sheep and its, um, and its, uh, uh, its wool. And so therefore you see that that is not a problem. So the Amar Biyochanan, Rabbi Yochanan said, "Man, the mitargem liba bakar liba the ben bagbag movil na manei abatir lebe masuta." Anybody who can explain to me what the purpose is of the extra word babakar in the interpretation of ben bagbag, I will carry his stuff to after him to the bathhouse. Meaning, I'll serve him. Anybody who can explain it to me because I don't get it. My tama, what's the reasoning? Kulut zrichi. We need all of them. The barmi babakar. We don't actually need the word babakar. He's not saying you don't need the word bakar. You do need the word bakar itself, as we're going to see. But you don't need the word babak, the extra bet. You don't need it. Because if you only had the word babakar, now he's going to explain to you what he does understand. If you only had the word babakar, that you can purchase cattle. You might think that what are you allowed to do? You're allowed to purchase meat together with the skin because you're purchasing the animal. And the animal has skin attached to it. It's part of its body. So, and so the fact that the price has increased as a result that you're also getting the leather, you can't help that. But you might say that when it comes to sheep, the wool is really a separate product and maybe you shouldn't be able to pay the full price. Let's say it's a 
$500 sheep and 50 of the dollars or 100 of the dollars is, the, uh, is because of the wool, maybe you should have to pay that from a separate fund, not from Asa Shani. You don't, right? So, so the chidush is, the word baton tells you you're allowed to pay that one price of $500 for the sheep. Now, knowing that you're allowed to purchase the sheep with its wool, that's still, the wool's still attached to the sheep. So maybe that's why, but when it comes to wine in its container, you might say that the container is really separate. It's not part of the wine at all. So that's why you need the word bayain. So and if you only had that, bayain, you might say because the container protects the wine of al-temet, but if you're talking about temet, which is the grape seeds that you put in water and allow it to ferment, it's just like the sweat or the, the um, whatever's left of the grape that's oozing out. You might think that's not sufficient to constitute a fruit. So that's why you have the word shechal. Right? But let's go the other way now. The, now he's going to say. Now he's flipping it around. He's saying, if, let's say that we're only wrote the word, wrote the word Bashechal. You could get whatever you want, even Shechal. Now you might think that's only only these intoxicating date, like um, they used to have like uh, uh, fig cakes that were pressed together that if you ate them, they would actually make you drunk. And we learned uh, that we, we had learned in Masachat Kuretot that if you ate these, you would become, uh, you could actually become intoxicated from them. So it says, maybe that's what it means because it's a fruit still, it's, a, it's solid. So therefore you have to know, um, but you might say that, uh, that wine you can't purchase, including its bottle. And if you knew that you could purchase wine with its bottle, in other words, he's working backwards in the Pasuk now, seeing from top to bottom, we went already, now we're going backwards. You need the word Bashechar to tell you that, that, uh, that um, it doesn't only mean a fruit, it could even mean a liquid that you extract from the seeds of the grape. And if you, but, but you wouldn't know that you could buy the bottle of the, the wine together with its bottle. But now that you know that you can buy the water, wine together with its bottle, that's because the bottle protects the wine. But maybe you would say about a sheep, You'd say no because the wool is extra. That's why you need the word tzon. That's why you need to know that even the sheep, um, uh, you can purchase, even though the price is set a little bit higher because of the wool, you're allowed to purchase it. Now, so why do you need the word then? Because it's already obvious. Because if I'm allowed to purchase the sheep with its wool, and I'm about to pay one price with my master shani, even though the wool is a separate entity from the sheep itself. So certainly the skin of the animal, of the cattle, is definitely going to be included. Right? So lamali. Maybe you'll tell me that if it didn't say the word bakar, if it didn't say the word cattle, I would have thought that even the sheep you're only allowed to buy with its skin, but not its wool. Maybe you wouldn't have known that the wool was included, and that's why it has, has to say bakar and son to show that there's something unique in the case of a sheep that isn't in the case of cattle. But then, so if that's true, right, it says, uh, then the, um, so the, uh, so it says, you might have thought, so right, right, so it says, that, uh, that maybe the reason you needed to have both words is to show you that just like the cattle's skin is included, so too the sheep's shearings are included. But the thing is, because it's, he's saying, 
If it only said, if the Torah wanted to teach you that skin is included with the animal, why would it have to use the case of a sheep? Shouldn't use the case of a sheep. It's confusing. Should just have used the case of a cattle. And we would have limited it to the case of cattle, which is the skin. And we would have said that when it comes to a sheep, it's not included. So you never would have thought that. The fact that it mentions sheep shows you. So certainly the reason why the Torah would be choosing the case of a sheep is to tell you that even its wool isn't, can be included in the price. So then certainly we could make a kalvachomer from the case of a sheep to the case of cattle. That if you're allowed to pay that price from your master shini money, which is going to include both the meat and the and the wool of the sheep, so so certainly the skin of the animal is going to be included in the price that you pay for the meat. That is why Rabbi Yochanan said, if anybody can explain to me how Ben Bagbag's drasha accounts for the word bakar here or babakar here, I will carry his things to the bathhouse, meaning I'll be a servant because I'll be very enlightened because as far as I can tell, according to this approach, there's no need for the word babakar because from the fact that it mentions tzon, that that includes, the sheep includes both the meat and the wool, certainly the cattle is going to include both the meat and the skin. So first of all, we had a machloket in the bright between Rabbi Yudah ben Gadish and Rabbi Yudah that Rabbi Yudah ben Gadish said that they used to buy fish brine with the Maser Shini and Rabbi Yudah said no. It has to have kirvedagim, it has to have actually the um, the, the uh, pieces of fish in there to count. So, so, and similarly, we had uh, a, a, a braytot before that um, that we're going to see that uh, that don't even include the gim at all. Well, we're going to see in a second, or or at least wouldn't seem to. So uh, uh, that's what it says. It's coming up later. It's going to mention another two bright thought that we have to explain as well. But let's first get the first two. So first of all, you have two different methodologies in the interpretation of psukim. One methodology is called ribuyumiut, which is a general interp- a general concept followed by a specific concept and a general concept. So that's the, uh, now ge- uh, an inclusive. Uh, there's such a thing as an ribuyumiut, which is quantitative. That approach says that. Um, the general statement in, includes as much as possible. The specific statement limits it. And then the general statement again tells you include everything except the most remote thing that would be included. That, and, and that you should exclude, right? Whereas, the other name that we're going to see, interpret with which means not quantitative. You don't say let's include everything except the most far-fetched thing. No, we don't say that. We say Use the example, use the specific, the limiter as a um, as an exemplar. That is the definition of the general statement, and the, uh, we'll see an example in a second. So Rabbi Yehuda ben Gadish, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yehuda ben Gadish, Rabbi Eliezer, who are in the bright that was talking about the fish brine, use the methodology of ribuyumiut. Let's see how it works. First of all, the pasuk says you can use the money to buy whatever you desire. That's very general. Riba. That's including as much as you want. Then we have four examples, cattle, sheep, wine, and intoxicating drink. That's a limiter because it sounds like you're only allowed to have these things on the list. But then the pasuk goes back and again says very generally, anything that you want. So it goes back and it expands. So whenever you have a general, an expansive statement, a limiting statement, an expansive statement, that includes everything. So my rabbi rabbi called. Call me lay. So that seems to imply any food could be included. So what's being excluded then? Why do you even have 
the limiting statements then, because Rabbi Eliezer, according to Rabbi Eliezer, that's to exclude brine, where there's no substance at all, even from the fish. And according to Rabbi Yudab ben Gadish, it's coming to exclude water and salt, but actually fish brine would be okay. Okay, and these other, um, these other Tanaim, they interpret Klaluprat. This is the brighter that's coming up now that we haven't seen yet. So the Tanya, as it says in the brighter, so instead of using the word riba and mi'et, it uses the word kalal and, or klal and prat. Okay, general and specific. So the first statement was, you can pay the money for anything you want. That's a general statement. Cattle, sheep, wine, and intoxicating drink. But that's a specific. Anything you want. Again, it's making a general statement. What's the rule? Whenever you have a general, a specific and a general, you are limited in your interpretation of the general by the, by the specific. In other words, you define the general by the specific. You don't just say we're going to exclude whatever is the most outlying thing, but you have to construct a definition of the general based on the specific. So similar, just like the specifics here are primipri, a fruit that comes from a fruit, meaning something that makes its own, that, that regenerates itself, like animals reproduce, and fruits also have seeds that reproduce, and they grow from the ground. Obviously, animals eat from the ground, and also fruits and vegetables grow from the ground. It has to be something that reproduces, and that grows and thrives from the ground. But another writer says, Mahaprat, so the question is, what are the specifics saying about the general? Mahaprat, Mifurash, Vlad, Vlad, Valdota Aretz. Just like the specifics are the product of the product of the land, and Rashi says that means, that in creation they came from the ground. Afkol, Vlad, Valdota Aretz. So to anything that you're going to consume, that you're going to pay your master, any money for, it has to be something that was created from the ground. So my Benaihu, what is the difference between these last two brights? So we know what the difference is between the first two, between Rabbi Yudab ben Gadish and Rabbi Eliezer, was a question of whether fish, uh, you know, they both agreed that fish would be good. The question was, was, would brine be good or not? And everyone agreed salt water would not be good. Right? The question is, these last two brights who have, the, who interpret pratu kalu prat, they don't do ribuyu mi'ut, so they have a more limited uh, construct because they are using the prat to define the cloud. What's the difference between that? So Amar Abayabai says, They're arguing about whether fish are good at all. Because According to the one who says it has to be something that reproduces and it has to thrive from the ground, fish also thrive from the ground because they get their food from the bottom of the sea or whatever. Right? And Leman Damar Vlad Valdota Aret, but according to the one that says it has to be something created from the ground, like Mimaivu, the Torah describes the fish as being created from the water, not from the ground, so they wouldn't be included. So that would be a question of whether you could buy fish with your Maser Shani money. But Obi Amar Abedagim, Gidu Lekak, and in Hubat does Abaye say that fish are actually considered to be land creatures? Famar Abayabai said, Achal Potita Lokarba. If a person eats a Potita, Potita is a Sheratamayim, is a type of a creature that uh, that is a prohibited, prohibited to eat, and um, it lives in the water. And there are four malkiot on it, because there are four times that sheratamayim, four different violations involved in eating any one of the crawling things, any one of the bugs of the sea, basically. It says, um, Rashi here quotes the different psukim, and um, that's two, 
and then it says also, uh, and that that's include for ev- that's included uh, uh, for everything. And then it says, "Mi b'saram lo tochelo v'chol hashayin lo snapir v'kasketin lo tochelo." So there are four different violations that are in, entailed in uh, eating any prohibited thing in the water. That's why you get four makot. And in mala, if you eat an ant, lo kechamish, you're going to get five. Uh, violations because there there's another violation about land animals that you're not allowed to eat anything except the permitted ones. She says. So if you look at all the psukim Rashi quotes, right? Two of them we already had from the water uh, the water creatures, and then there are three more for the land creatures. Okay, and then if you eat a bug that flies, you get six. So you have all the five that are in the land creatures, as well as the of It says any um, flying prohibited be prohibited creature you're not allowed to eat. So that's a, a sixth violation. Now what do you see here? Now if you're going to say that any fish is also considered like a land creature, so then you should also have a fifth makah. You should get a fifth set of of malkot of whippings for eating the prohibited aquatic creature, and yet you don't. Right, so it can't be that a fish is considered a land creature. says, "It's not fish." Both of these last tanaim agree that fish are not included. The question is, are ofot included? Fowl, birds. According to the one that says that it has to be a reproducing uh, living thing that is that lives from the ground, that subsists from the ground. They also are subsist from the ground. But the man that Vlad Valdota, but according to the one that says it has to be created from the ground, Hane Ofot, Kaknivo, the Midrash says that the Ofot, they're described as coming from the water and they're described as coming from the land because they came from mud. They, didn't, they came from a mixture of water and land. They didn't really come from the land alone and therefore they wouldn't be included if it depends upon what they were created from. So then it would, they would not be included. If it depends on what they subsist on, then they would be included because they do subsist from the, uh, on the uh, things that grow from the ground. So how do they each interpret the psukim to either include or exclude fowl? So he says that according to the one that includes birds, he's going to say that the last cloud, remember there's a cloud, a prat, and a cloud. There is a general, which is you can get whatever you want. Then there are four examples. Cattle, sheep, wine, and intoxicating drink. And then there's another repetition of klala batra, the last general statement, or anything you want. So according to this interpretation, the last general statement is the, is the defining one. Okay? And it, in, it expands the particulars. And therefore, really, everything should be included. And basically, the first klal, the first general statement just helps to say that it has to be similar, that, the, that whatever you base the specific on, it has to be, or whatever you base on that specific has to be similar to it in two ways. So as she says here, what does it mean that it has to be in, in two ways? And so he says that, um, he explains here that meaning it has to be primipri, it has to be something that reproduces, and something which subsists, that gets its sustenance from the ground. That's two ways in which the um, in which the birds are in fact similar to grapes, and they are in fact similar to other animals, and so therefore they be included. But umandim ofot, but the one that excludes birds and says you can't get chicken 
with you or Maser Shani Manika Savak, Klala Kama, Tavka. Really, the first general statement is the defining one. Klal Uprat. And really, you have to look at the specifics as limiting the general. Ve'en Bechlal Lamashi Beprat. And really, you would be more conservative in your interpretation because you say that really it opened with, an, with a general statement. And then it clamped down with a specific. Han Ne'in which means these yes and other things no. It's limiting on that. It's placing limitations on that general statement. And and so therefore the third statement, in other words, the, the generality at the end comes to expand it a little bit, but to say that it still has to be similar to the particular in three ways. And the third way would be that it also has to be created from the ground, which we said the birds were not. And therefore, wouldn't be included. In other words, a way to think of it is like this: What are you doing, right? Are you basically having a very expansive statement of pratu klal with another klal before it, and that other klal before it uh, limits it a little bit, or are you having a general statement that is limited and then slightly opened up again? If it's slightly, if it goes that way, so then you're going to still have more ways in which any other example has to fit. The examples written in the Torah would have to be in three ways instead of just in two, and that would exclude chicken. You can use for your Eruv Tchumin, if you want to leave at the border where you're going to leave the Eruv Tchumin, you can use Papuin, which is some kind of herb, we don't know exactly what it is. Also, Chalaglogot, which is another type of a... Um, Vegetable, good gedaniot, also with good gedaniot, which is um, actually, uh, I believe, coriander is what it's called in English. But not with green produce, meaning if they harvested grain before, stalks of grain before they were fully ripened, so they were still green. You can't use dates that are unripe. Okay, so the, these are two things you cannot use. Can you really use the good gedaniot? Can you really use the coriander? People who have a lot of children are allowed to eat coriander, but if, if, the, if you don't have children, you shouldn't eat it because it's bad for fertility. So since it's bad for you, maybe you shouldn't use it for Eruv Tchumin either. And if they became so hard, in other words, if you get coriander at the stage that it's very, very tough, that it's already producing seeds, then even people who have a lot of children should not eat it because it's unhealthy. So you see from that that it's an unhealthy food and shouldn't be Israeli. So you could say, fine, we're talking about at an early stage of its development before it became hardened and started producing its own seeds. And for people who already have children, for them it's not a threat because it's not mature enough to be a threat like it is, like it would be to them. And they already have children, so they have to worry about the fertility piece. And so therefore, they would be allowed to use it for Eruv Tchumin. Alternatively, even people who don't have children would be allowed to use it for Eruv Tchumin. Because there are some people in the world that could eat it. We already learned in the Mishnah that you're allowed to put, even for a Nazir, you're allowed to put wine as the Eruv Tchumin, even though he himself can't eat it, because other people can. And you could put for Israel. Truma, even though he's not allowed to eat it, other people can. Since even though it's not okay for him to eat, it's okay for someone to eat. So too, just even though he may be a person who needs to have children, so he's not allowed to eat or he shouldn't eat the coriander, but since there are other people who could eat it, so it's considered edible and that's enough. Vibaitim alternatively, 
from Madai, they had like certain types of coriander that were not bad for your health, and maybe he's talking about that. So there's three possibilities. One possibility is that it's talking about a case where it wouldn't be harmful to the person, so he's allowed to use it for everybody, or it's talking about even a person who would be harmed, but since it's something which can be eaten by other people without harm, he's allowed to use it. Or third possibility is it's just talking about the version of it which isn't harmful to anybody. You can't use unripened grain, green grain, as your Eruf Tchumin, so it says, You can use hops and you can use um, the green grain. You can use it for Eruf. And you say, Before Rav came to Bavel, he didn't think that green grain was edible. But once he came to Bavel, he saw that people ate it. So then he changed his mind. Since when was Bavil the most of the world? Meaning, just because people in Bavil eat something that's weird doesn't mean that it, that becomes a normal food for everybody else. When it comes to a bean or barley or tiltanus fenugreek, if a person basically uh, planted them to use the green part, not to use the bean, but to use the plant. Normally you use the bean in those cases, but he wanted to use the plant. The fact that he decided to, to plant it in order to use the green part of the plant, his intent is nullified, and we still see it. Therefore we still say that the seeds of that plant are the ones that are liable for maser, not the green part, because the green part, a normal person doesn't plant fenugreek, or plant barley, or plant beans to eat the green part of the plant. They plant it to eat the actual um, seeds that are supposed to be eaten and that's the part that's subject to ma'asir. So your intent doesn't matter. And similarly, cress, ve'hagargir, shizar an li'arak, and these are plants that are normally eaten for... Um, for either one of the two. They could be eaten for their seeds, they could be eaten for their green. So it says, So Tosfot explains what the difference is, which one you put prior, which one you prioritize, basically. But since even though the person had a particular intent, he only wanted the seeds or he only wanted the green, since they're generally used for both in this case, so both of them come under the requirement of Maser, although there is somewhat of a difference. If you had intent for one over the other, which one would, uh, which halachot would apply, as Tosfot explains. But we don't want to go too far into that. The main point is that the intention of the individual does not override the generally accepted intention of people in planting these plants. And so therefore, it shouldn't be that just because Rav came to Bavel and saw that people were eating green, unripened uh, uh, grain, that that therefore means that unripened grain is... Uh, is a, is a normal food. So, Rav was talking when he said that you could use it for Eovet Chumin. He was talking about the kind that grows in a garden. People grow in a garden certain stalks that they eat, but the ones out in the field would not be considered edible. Okay? That says, Gargir What is this Gargir type of a, um, an herb that was mentioned before? What is, it, what is it used for? The people, the early people that didn't have pepper, so they, they would use it in place of pepper, they would grind it up, and they would dip their roasted meat in it. When Rabbi Zerah was, 
weak from, from learning, he was tired out. He would sit outside of the Yeshiva of Yehuda Barami. We see this in many Gemarot that the rabbis would do this. Listen, I don't have the mental energy to learn right now, but at least if the rabbis go in and out, I can stand up. And I'll get the reward of honoring the Talmud Chachamim who are going in and out because I'll stand up each time they come in and out. One of the students of the Yeshiva of Rav came out. One of the Yanuka means a, a, a tinok. It means a, a, a young boy. Amali said to him, "My Agmarach Rabach." So Rabbi Zera asked him, "What did your teacher teach you today?" Amali said to me, "Kashod boy priyadama." He said, "Hops, the blessing if you eat them is boy priyadama." Chaziz, the unripened grain, shakol niabid varo say shakol. Amali Rabbi Zera said to him, "Adrav, it's the opposite. Ibchamistabra, the opposite makes more sense because Haime Arar Kamarabe because the actually." The the un the green grain grows out of the ground, so it should be a boy And and the hops grow on top of bushes; they don't grow directly on the ground. So actually, really, they should be uh, they they derive their nourishment from the from the uh, air, not from the ground. So it shouldn't be boy priyadama; should be shakol. The opposite of what the kid said. But but actually the halacha follows the kid from the shiva rab. My time. What's the reason? Hi gemar pere. I love gemar pere because. The reason why you say shahakol and green, unripened grain is because it hasn't finished its development yet. So since it hasn't finished its development, it's not a complete pre yet. And your, and your point about the hops growing on bushes not really deriving their sustenance from the ground, that they derive their sustenance from the air, like that's what we say about mushrooms. That's why mushrooms are shahakol, because they don't, derive, they don't have any roots and they don't derive any sustenance from the ground. Lohi, it's not true. Actually, hops do derive their uh, energy from the ground. Because if you kill the plant, in other words, if you uproot the bush to which the hops are attached, it will die also. The hops will die also. So therefore, you see that they do derive their energy from the ground. You said that we can't use unripe dates. We learned Heart of palm. You can purchase it with your masa shini money because it's considered food, but it does not, it's not subject to the tum'ah foods, which is interesting. The kafniot, and when it comes to unripe, uh, unripe dates, nikhod because of masa, they can be purchased with the money of masa, which implies that they are a food, and they also can become tameh. So they have both. Rabbi Yudah said, you know what? Heart of palm is really like a piece of wood because eventually it hardens. If they, we get it when it's soft, but if, if, they, if they leave it, it hardens. But as long as it's edible, you can purchase it with the money of the Masir. And, and that's, why it's not, that's why it doesn't have Tumah, according to him. And the unripe dates, really they are fruit. It's not really a chidush. Just that they don't, you don't have to take Masir to give to the Levi and so on with the... Um, with, uh, uh, unripened grapes because they are uh, they are uh, not considered fully developed. And since they're not considered fully developed, they're going to be exempt from ma'aser, okay? Because they didn't fully develop. So the interesting thing is, according to that, you're going to have the reverse. You're going to have that um, that the uh, the heart of palm is you can purchase it with the ma'aser money. But it's not really considered a food, and the kafniot you can, you uh, the unripened dates. So with respect to um, with respect to maser uh, sheni, I'm sorry, with respect to tumah, uh, they're going to be considered a food because they're considered a pre. But the only thing is, for maser, it has to be a pre that fully is developed, and it's not fully developed. So the gemara says, so how could you say? 
So what's the pro- how can you say you can't use kafniot? How can you say you can't use unripened dates for eruv uh, We see that unripened dates are treated like a pre. They're treated like a fruit in every respect, both according to Rabbi Yehuda and Tanakama. That's true. So atam bedinischane. That must be talking about bedinischane. Nischane. Rashi explains the kalim zcharim. There are different types of date palms. One that's called called male and one's called female. But basically, they only produce unripe the ones that are called quote unquote male. Only produce, um, only produce unripe dates. They never bring the dates to full ripe, ripe you know, full state of uh, ripe uh, of being ripe. So therefore, that's as far as they go. So when you're dealing with dates, that this is as far as they go. So that is the complete state of it, right? And uh, and that's why they consider it a fruit. But if it's an unripened date from a date palm that would have grown the dates all the way, so it's not going to be sub, it's not going to be considered edible because it hasn't finished its process. If that's true, but is that true in that case? Would Rabbi Yehuda, if this Mishnah is really talking about here, uh, or Brayta really is talking about here, dates that will never reach their full term of ripeness, and that's why they're saying that the dates are considered a food because that's as far as they go. So then, but, but that's not true. That, that we, we learned elsewhere that the unripe figs from Betone, which is a place, or the unripe, the Ahine is the, um, is the unripe dates from Tovina, this place, that don't ever reach any full term of ripeness, they are obligated to master because that is as far as they develop. They're undeveloped relative to other dates, but relative to their own potential, they're fully developed, and therefore they are subject to master. And so therefore we can't say that Rabbi Yudah is arguing with the Chachamim in the, in the Braita about dates that never will receive, re, reach their full term. They're talking there about dates that will read, could have reached their full term and did not. And yet they're, they're assuming that they're still a food. Whether they're subject to maser or not, they're arguing about, but they're still assuming that they're a food. So why wouldn't you be able to use them for iruvet chumin ela leolam la Rather, they're not talking there about dates that will never reach their full term. They're definitely talking about dates that should have reached their full term, but were harvested early. We have a different rule when it comes to the tum'ah of foods. Because Kedam Rabbi Yochanan, like Rabbi Yochanan said, Hoilu Ra'uilu Matkan al Yedeor. Hachanan Yoilu Matkan al Yedeor. It's considered a food because you could sweeten it, even the unripe date, by cooking it. In other words, if you cook it, it could be sweetened, and therefore it could be considered a food for certain halachot, but not for erovet chumin. For erovet chumin, it has to be something that is ready to eat in its current state. But if you, but when it comes to maaser, uh, it could be. So that's the machloket. The rabbis, the Tanakhama is saying that since you could cook it up and it will be sweet enough to eat, so it's considered a food. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, since you need to do an intervention to make it good, it's not, it's, it doesn't count. But when it comes to dates that never reach their full term anyway, that everyone agrees that's the full fruit. That's what you see is what you get. When did Rabbi Yochanan say this concept that, that something's status could depend on the fact that you could potentially cook it? On the following brayta. Bitter almonds, the small ones are liable in Maser. The big ones are exempt. Mitukim, the big one, the sweet ones, Dolim Chayavin, the large ones are, are obligated. Small ones are not. Now, in the case of the bitter ones, so the small version of the bitter ones are liable because they're still edible. Okay, but the large ones that are very bitter are exempt because they're not edible. The sweet ones are only liable to Maser when they're big. 
because that's when they're fully sweet. But the small ones will be exempt because they're not fully developed. Okay? In other words, when you're going on a scale of bitterness, the bigger the worse. When you're going on a scale of sweetness, the bigger the better. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yossi, Omer, Mishum Aviv, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yossi, in the name of his father. That both of them, you're exempt. In other words, he's, and now he's going back on the case of the bitter ones, meaning the bitter ones are not edible, whether big or small, it doesn't matter. The Amri Las, some say, no, they're both good. That actually both of them are liable for Maser. Amr Rabbi Eli, Rabbi Eli said, so Rabbi Hanina in Sipori said, according to the version, that they're both exempt from Maser. How could it be that there's anybody who says that the bitter almonds, large and small, you would be liable to do, take Maser from both? Rabbi Yochanan had explained, since it's possible to... Uh, since it's possible to sweeten them with fire, meaning you cook them up and they'll become sweeter and edible, so therefore they're considered a food, even though naturally they'd be bitter. Amar what the Master said, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Kol that heart of palm is really a piece of a tree, right? But the only chidush, the only novelty is that you're allowed to purchase it with the money of Maser uh, and, and eat it as a food, because right now it's edible. So that seems to be the same thing as the Tanakama. The Tanakama and Rabbi, and, and Rabbi Yehuda are really agreeing on the same thing. Uh, on, the, on the same, they have the same view with respect to uh, the um, heart of palm. So, so it says, The Machloket is, if you cooked it in water, Shilakot means you boiled it, or you fried it in oil, according to Rabbi Yehuda, it will not become Tamei, because it requires intensive cooking to make it edible. The Tanakh will say, since, uh, he says, if you actually cooked it and prepared it, so we won't say that it's like a piece of wood anymore. Since if you cook it and prepare it, okay, it can be, um, it, it can be uh, uh, made into a, a food. We're not going to say that it is a piece of wood. That's the way that, um, th- so before when we saw the Machloket, it said, uh, whether it's mitamei tumat ochalin or not, the rabbis had said, in mitamei tumat ochalin, and Rabbi Yehuda had said, it's a piece of wood. Right? So it seems like they're saying the same thing. So that's why it's saying, why did Rabbi Yehuda say it's like a piece of wood? Meaning that even if you cook it up, it's not going to be subject to tumat ochalin. But the Tanakhama that just said, it doesn't have tumat ochalin, it doesn't have the tumat, but if you cooked it up, it would get the tumat. Is, there, is it possible to say that if you cooked up the heart of palm that it would still not be a food subject to the laws of Tum'ah? Skin and the amniotic sac of an animal do not, are not subject to the food Tum'ah. So the thing is, but or However, if you had skin that you boiled it until it became soft and edible, or an amniotic sac that you thought to eat it, all of a sudden it can become considered a food. So what do you see from that? If even skin of an animal, which is fundamentally not edible, if you cook it up enough to make it edible, it would be considered a food and it would even be subject to the laws of Tum'ah related to foods. So certainly that would be true with a heart of palm. So The real machloket between the Rabbi Yehuda and the Tanakh there is about the Bacha. As it was stated elsewhere, heart of palm. Rav Yehuda says, is the correct By the way, this is Rav Yehuda, not Rabbi Yehuda. 
Okay? So actually, it would have to be flipped in the Brita, because Rabbi Yehuda is the one that would say that it's shakul, because he says it's like a piece of wood. And the Tanakhama says that, no, it's not like a piece of wood. It's, uh, it would be considered like a fruit, and therefore you would say, uh, So Rav Yehuda is an Amorah. He lives later. Okay, so Rav Yehuda is the one saying because it's not considered a piece of wood, it's considered a fruit of the ground. Shmuel says, Rav says it's a, it's because it's the food. Since eventually this is going to harden into a piece of wood, if you left it in nature, it would harden into a piece of wood. So therefore, it's not really a fruit, and it's really a piece of wood, so you say shakol. And that's what the machloket would be, that according to Rebbe Yehuda, the Tana in the Brayta, he would say it's like a piece of wood, so you, don't, so you say Sha'akol on it. And the Tana Kamada said, no, right now it's a fruit, you would say, boy, pray Shmuel said to Rav Yehuda, sharp one, you're very smart, it makes more sense like you, that's non, this exact conversation is in the Perak Ketzad Mevarachin, sixth Perak of Masachat Bachot, that we learned together, that he said to him, a radish, which in the end is going to become hard also. If you leave it, it will become hard and inedible, and yet you say, Broi Priyadama on it. Right? So, so too, it seems like you should say, Broi Priyadama on the heart of palm, because meanwhile, before it hardens, it's still soft and it's still good. But it says, Viloi, but it's not true. It's known that they in the Pugla. The difference is that a radish, you, you plant it, Adatad de Pugla, for the sake of eating the bulb, for the sake of eating the radish. So even though it might harden later, you, you, you intended to eat it. But nobody thinks that they're planting the palm tree so that people can take the heart of palm that's actually part of the tree itself to eat it. They wouldn't think of that. They would think of the dates that come out of the palm or other things, but not of the heart of palm itself. So therefore, it's not considered intrinsically a food. And that's why I Shmuel say that you say, they say, on heart of palm, because it's not really a fruit. And even though Shmuel congratulated and praised Rabbi Yehuda and said, you're very sharp, it makes a lot of sense, that you would say, is like Shmuel, that in hearts of palm, we say, because it's considered part of the tree, and not a fruit of the tree, as we learned in Masachet Bachot in the sixth parish.